if you guys would like to have a seat. We're going to have a word uh, right out of uh, Isaiah, just as we had been in uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm so glad to see your faces uh, this evening, just as we look to uh, praise God for the incarnation of Jesus. Um, I'm wondering if this is a season of awe and wonder for you guys. Like really, actually a season of awe and wonder. Not just something that you put on the mantle, not just the individual things. If you're a family of three, you've got joy up there. If you're a family of five, you've got peace. So these are words that we always use, but I'm wondering for you, is it really a season of awe and wonder? What is it that captivates uh, your heart, your imagination, your affections? Maybe it's been a while for you that anything's really done that. When was the last time that something really actually captivated your imagination? Maybe it was uh, a breathtaking sunset. It was a a vision of the mountains. It was uh, visiting the Grand Canyon for the first time. Maybe that's really actually the last time that you felt a sense of awe and wonder at something. Maybe it was a symphony that you went to, and you're not even like necessarily the type of person that goes to symphonies, and you are just confronted with just this awesome music, and it just captivated you. You didn't even know that you liked classical music until that moment, but there's just something that like reached into your soul and really caused you to awe and wonder. Maybe it was uh, at your child's birth. That, I mean, those are really significant moments. I mean, even an atheist atheist has to concede the fact that there is something about your own child being born that seems more significant than the moment that is actually happening in front of you. It just seems like it's, it's spiritual, it's awesome, it's captivating, it's wondrous. Maybe for you it's a rapturous love of some kind. At some point in your history, maybe it's art. I don't know what it is for you. For, for me, there's a lot of things that really capture my imagination in that kind of way. Uh, one of them is cosmology. Uh, the, the study of the cosmos. That's uh, different than cosmetology. Or metology, that's not what captures my heart. Maybe it is for you. Uh, For me, cosmology is something that is just like the study of the cosmos is amazing. And there's a uh, a thing that like when I think about the cosmos, when I uh, think about them, not as something that happens like in some other dimension, but that happens in the heavens above us. Like literally in the universe that we live in. There's something that really captivates my imagination, and that is the infiniteness of the universe, okay? So have you ever really thought about that? You think about the universe as being something that is infinite, like never-ending. But here's the key. Here's something that really makes me wonder, okay? Not only is our universe infinite, it is also expanding. Have you ever heard that before? Do you know that that's true? Like our Our universe is infinite and expanding at the same time. And that is just a concept that is like too big for me. If the universe is infinite, then how is it expanding? And maybe even a bigger question than that, if the universe is expanding and infinite, what is it expanding into? That is a pretty awesome and wonderful thought. That is the stuff. That's the stuff that is just too high, too mysterious, too wondrous, and it is captivating to me. And maybe you're like, I don't get it. 
but maybe you have something that you do get that you're just like, man, that stirs my just creative juices, the things that make me awe and wonder. And what I would tell you is, is that for me, another thing that I see as being wondrous and awesome is today's text there in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. We're going to spend most of our time in verse 7, but I just want to read it for us. It's, it's, it's going to be familiar to you. You're going to have heard it before. You're going to have heard it not just in Isaiah, but recited in Matthew and in the Gospels. But I want to read it this morning for us to all have fresh ears to what's actually happening here. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord this morning for us. This is the word of the Lord. And, and, and what gets me about this passage is that this set of passages, uh, if I read it, I think I understand it, but when I read it more closely, I realize, man, it is too big. It is too high. It is too wonderful. It is too awesome for me to feel like I've got my head really wrapped around this. Why is that? It's because this is a prophecy of Isaiah that was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever came into existence here on this earth. It's a set of verses that was written to be a hope amidst a lot of judgment for Judah, God's people. And this passage actually has some questions that really need to be answered for us to try to even begin trying to understand what is awesome and wonderful about this passage. The first one is, who is this even about? Who is Isaiah talking about? Who is he writing about? There are some details that need to be answered. Who is this government-shouldering, wonderful, mighty, everlasting prince that we're reading about here. Well, first of all, we get the idea from that word prince that we see right away that this is royalty. It's a prince who sits, it says, on David's throne. So this is, this is no like ordinary person. This is going to be a prince. And we see that it's not just some deadbeat prince. It's not some guy that's just sitting there because of who his dad was, and now he's messing everything up. We actually get the idea that he is an awesome and powerful prince He's governing as a good counselor, we see, as a careful father, we see, and as a powerful God-man. Now, that, that would have been a familiar concept at this time, that the king that sat on a throne or a prince that sat on a throne would have been considered God. And so here we actually we see this everlasting father, this prince of peace. There's something other and divine about this person. Who is this about? It's about this kind of prince. In fact, we don't just get this idea that it's some like uh, measly prince. We also, there at the very end, hear that he is in fact a lord of hosts. Now, that's probably something that you've heard before, right? You've heard that there are uh, that that there is a lord of hosts. In fact, uh, hundreds of times, literally in scripture, the lord of hosts is used, and we kind of skip it over because it's uh, it's just something that's familiar with us. It's spiritual language. But have you ever thought about what does lord of hosts mean? Lord of hosts. 
In fact, Jackson read this just a few minutes ago when, uh, when the shepherd goes, uh, I'm sorry, when the shepherds are there on the hillside and all of these, uh, there's this one angel and he comes and proclaims this good news and then all of a sudden he's joined together with this host of angels. There's myriads and myriads of hosts alongside of him, a multitude of heavenly hosts. And what we need to understand is that a host is a legion. It's a group of things. It's not just one person. It's not like there's a multitude of like individual hosts. There's hosts of things. This, this language, if you had been reading it in Hebrew here in Isaiah, you would have gotten the idea that he's the Lord of armies. Not an army. He's the Lord of armies. The Lord of hosts is a Lord of armies. This is a powerful prince. So Isaiah's prophecy of hope is that this royal prince who governs uh, as a uh, powerful lord of armies is actually going to do something that's mysterious. But here is the mystery in and of itself. There's a mystery contained here. Who does Isaiah say that the powerful prince is? Look at the passage. Who does it say that it is? No, it doesn't say Jesus. It says a child, though. It says that this Lord of hosts, this powerful army, this uh, shoulder carrying of government, you know, uh, thing that's going to come is a baby. It's too wonderful. It's too odd, too curious, too awesome that this powerful prince is going to be a child. And it says not just a child, it's going to be to us a child is born. It's going to be our child. If we're going to have some like claim or ownership on this child, this prince of peace that is coming. It's our child. All this power is going to be wrapped into the potential of a small gift. It says that to us, uh, to us is given. To us is given. It's a gift. It's a baby. And we know from the rest of Isaiah, from the rest of our study of Isaiah, that it's Emmanuel. What, what is the hope? The hope is a baby named Emmanuel. So that's, who is this? Who's this? Who is this? Who is Isaiah talking about? He's talking about Emmanuel. He's going to be a powerful prince. But what is this Emmanuel going to do? It, it, it wraps it all up by saying that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This, what is this? What is Emmanuel going to do? What is the this that the Emmanuel's zeal will accomplish? And what we get, if you read back through these, is that his zeal is actually for two things. It's for uh, righteousness and justice. What is, what is he going to be doing? He's going to be so zealous that his justice and his righteousness is trying to do something, trying to accomplish something. So if you're here this morning, not this morning, this afternoon, we just don't have any windows, and it's hard to tell. <laughs> if you're here this afternoon and you love justice and righteousness, you need to know this about Emmanuel. Emmanuel loves justice and righteousness too, and his zeal for that justice and that righteousness is going to do something. What is it? Verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Emmanuel's zeal, his passion, his love, his desire for justice and for righteousness will lead to peace. Was God's people, Judah, at this time desirous of peace? Of course they were. They were frightened. Do you remember from a few weeks ago? They were frightened. 
King Ahaz was frightened, he was fearful, he was filled with fear, and he was making alliances here on this earth, even though God had sent his prophet to say, do not fear. He says, don't fear at all, I've got you, you're my people. They were filled with fear. But God is going to bring peace to them. Did they trust God for their peace? No, but God was going to give it to them anyway through this Prince of Peace, this Emmanuel. Emmanuel's zealousness for justice and righteousness leads to an inevitable peace. That's what we need to know about this Emmanuel. He's bringing peace and nothing can stop it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So that makes sense, right? That makes sense. If a powerful prince of peace, if a powerful uh, prince who is zealous for justice and righteousness uh, is going to use his power, then peace is going to flow from that. That, that makes sense for us. So who is this? It's, Isaiah, uh, it's uh, Emmanuel. What is he going to do? He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring a kingdom of peace. But the question is, When? When is he going to bring this peace? When is he going to bring it for Judah? When is he going to bring it for us? And that's the final question that we're going to ask of this text. When is Emmanuel going to establish this peace? Now, Andrew mentioned last week that some Jews see these verses fulfilled by the king Hezekiah, which came uh, just after this. He said, hey, listen, you know, these uh, verses from Isaiah are fulfilled in Hezekiah, the king. And in the peace that kind of followed along with his reign. And, and certainly that's true. Uh, in the return from Babylon, there was peace. The people of God experienced peace at different times. Certainly there was peace for a time for God's people. And in no small way was this prophecy fulfilled in the Old Testament. However, these verses use some really specific language. What does it say? Look at it with me. It says, there will be no end. No end. So for God's people, uh, there's going to be no end of the increase of Emmanuel's government and of peace. His kingdom will be established. It will be upheld. These are the words that the passage is using. Increasing government, increasing peace, kingdom established, kingdom uphold, upheld. And for how long? How long will it be upheld? From this time and for forevermore. Did the kingdom of King Hezekiah, did that last? Does it still, is it still lasting? Is the throne of David, in, in, in an earthly sense, is it still established? Is it still here? In an earth, could you go and like go into the throne room of King David here on this earth? Is it still here? Is that peace that was promised way back here that might have been fulfilled in King Hezekiah, was it, is it still around? And you still find it. Where's the peace for God's people? We get the sense that there is something more that's being discussed here. Hezekiah's kingdom did not last forever. Israel's peace doesn't even last to today. Emmanuel's government is an unending, ever-increasing, eternally established, always upheld, forever kingdom of peace. That's what these passages say, and it's too wonderful. It's too wonderful. I'm going to say it again. Emmanuel's government is unending. It's ever-increasing. It's eternally established. 
It's always upheld, and it's a forever kingdom of what? Peace. That's the kind of kingdom that this king is bringing into existence. Emmanuel's kingdom of peace is infinite, and it is expanding. Read it. It doesn't just say that his kingdom of peace is coming, and it's come, and it's here. It says of the increase of that peace, it will be expanding for forever, just like the universe. Do we understand that? Like, it's not just that Jesus came 2,000 years ago and establishes a kingdom of peace, and it's here, and it's ready for us, and we kind of experience, and it'll be like that for forever uh, in some kind of static way. It's like the universe. It's infinite. He, He gives us infinite peace. When does he give it? For forever. And it expands. The universe is infinite, and it is infinitely expanding. That's a crazy thought. This verse is saying the exact same thing about Jesus' kingdom and about the peace that comes with it. So as we kind of think about this Christmas season, what I want for us to just have on our minds is a sense of wonder of the fact that Jesus is bringing a kingdom, he's establishing a kingdom that is like a big bang. It's like a big bang. In Luke, we're told who this Emmanuel is. We're told about what kind of kingdom of peace he has brought. We're told when and where. It's it's everywhere for forever. Who is Emmanuel? It's Jesus. In Luke, we see the fullest expression of wonder. A child, a baby, in a throne of inglory. Not of glory. In a lowly manger in a tumbled-down stable, in Nowheresville, in Bethlehem, an insignificant town other than the fact that prophets had said that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would come from there, is like a nowhere place. And God chooses to set off a spiritual big bang in the midst of this place. This Prince of Peace, this mighty God, catalyzes a monumental explosion of peace for us. The birth of Jesus catalyzes a monumental explosion of peace for us, for you. So I wonder if that inspires any awe in you, any wonder, just to be humbled by the birth of Jesus. I've I've fought over the last, like, few weeks to find this quote. This is just classic for me. I can't remember who said it, but I can remember it almost verbatim, what she said. Uh, At the turn of the century, there was this um, nonprofit worker in uh, New York City, and she worked for uh, workers' rights and women's rights in, uh, in, uh, in New York City. And she was asked at the, towards the end of her life to write a memoir. And so she said she was an amazing writer. Evidently, I've not read too much of what she wrote, but I'm, I read this in, as a part of a miniature biography about who, uh, who she was. And she was asked, hey, write your biography. And she said, you know, um, I tried that one time. I sat down and I wrote at the top of a page, A Life Remembered. And I sat there trying to think about what I would write. And it occurred to me, and I was thinking on the visitation of my Savior, she was a Christian, all those many years ago, and just how happy I was to have him on my mind all this time. The, the wonder and awe of Jesus' birth 
had led to this beautiful, flourishing life for her that she had used to like um, love and care for other people. And all she really wanted out of life was not to write some memoir, be remembered. She was just humbled by the awesome experience of having Jesus incarnate on her mind for years. It's really beautiful. It's wondrous. It's awesome to be humbled by the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the one who has an infinite and expanding kingdom of peace. And I wonder if you've been caught up in the wonder of that. I wonder if maybe this year has been really tumultuous for you and you've experienced anything but peace. What I want to do is just invite you to be kind of caught up, enraptured by the idea that there was this cataclysm that happened where Jesus' kingdom came in the small town called Bethlehem and expanded for forever, for always, everlastingly, completely and totally upheld for forever. His kingdom is here. His peace is here. You go, well, I don't feel that peace. It's expanding. You will be caught up in it. You will be caught up in it for forever, and you will experience peace for forever, and it will expand with you into eternity. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that God would uh, captivate us by that, to, to make it awesome to us, that we would feel it, that we wouldn't be caught up in presents and gifts and commercialism and materialism and all of these things, but that we would be caught up in worship of the one everlasting kingdom of peace and the king who sits on that throne. Join with me in prayer. God and Father, you are great and glorious. You sent your son, and he came into this world, fulfilling all of these prophecies from Isaiah. He's here. He was born. Real flesh. Real deity. There in a little town named Bethlehem. It really happened. Father, help us to know this. Lord, not just in the intellectual regions of our mind, but Lord, in just the guttural regions of our heart and our desires and our affections, Lord. We love you. We thank you for sending our Savior, this King of Peace. We thank you for the kingdom that we've been caught up into. But Father, for many of us, we just acknowledge the fact that sometimes these truths, although they are awesome, they have not captivated us. Father, I pray that um, during this time, as we sing sing these last four songs, Lord, that we would be uh, just caught up in your majesty, caught up in your creativity of this story that you have told, that you have um, brought us into, that you have invited us into. Lord, that you would allow for us to feel the peace that we have with you, that it took the death of uh, this Prince of Peace. It took, he took all of the war in order for us to have peace with you. Father, captivate us by these truths. Allow us to experience this kind of peace. Lord, we pray that you would do this, that the zeal of the Lord of hosts would do this, that the zeal of the Lord of hosts would uh, captivate our imaginations during this season that we celebrate his birth. Lord, as we sing to you, uh, Lord, would we sing uh, with hearts filled with joy, filled with uh, uh, great affections for you. 
Lord, would, um, as Augustine uh, said, that uh, you have made us, you've made us for yourself, and that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Lord, would we have peace in you this evening, and Lord, would we sing to you as people that have been caught up in that peace. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for all of these things, and pray that you would bless our worship. Amen.